But if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn, please, to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. I am still following on, I think, in my spirit and my, the word to the message that I brought last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday or if you uh, um, haven't seen it on the internet, um, I gave a sermon that was based on the Bible readings at Margaret Thatcher's funeral, one by her granddaughter, which was talking all about the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spiritual uh, forces in high places. And then the second one was written by our, uh, was read by our Prime Minister on no one comes to the Father through the Son. And we were reflecting not only on why Margaret Thatcher chose those verses, but also uh, the state of our nation today. And today I want to continue a little bit in that vein um, with a sort of prophetic sharing. And um, you see behind me uh, that they've, they've put up a, a screen and my, the title of my message today is Abounding Grace. And um, if I can have a full screen please there while I'm referring to it, that might be helpful up there in the TV gallery. And um, you've got Abounding Grace. And then we've got this like medical line. And the reason that I'm showing you that is that a while ago, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he used a word I wasn't familiar with. And he said, this nation in Europe has flatlined and my people are flatlining before me. And I thought, what is he, what is that, what's up, flatline, flatline, what does that mean? So I went to, um, you know, Google, the dictionary, the word flatline. And then I realized what I'd looked at it, and it's quite good, there's some good definitions there, that those of you that are medical will immediately know what flatlining is. And there behind me, that's meant to be the heartbeat, the sign, the vital signs of life that are there. And then uh, when it flatlines, well, that's when you start to get worried because that's the sign of death or near death. That's when you get out those charges and try and get some life into people and pump, pump them back. And so I had this word, you know, that the nation and Europe has, flat, uh, has flatlined and my people are flatlining before me. And I wondered what that meant. And I've been praying about it and thinking about it. And although this sermon today might not as be, be, be as structured as some of the things I normally give, that's because I'm trying to impart something that the Lord imparted into my spirit. And I start with Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In this sentence, we have three abounds. We have the offense abounding, number one. Then we have sin abounding. But then we have grace abounding much more. Or one of the translations is grace superabounds. And so we're seeing in this passage that Paul is talking about the situation that the gospel needs to be preached into. We find that when the law came, when God sent the law... There was still sin in the world before the law came, but when the law came, the law called sin by name. I mean, the law revealed sin in all its horror and what, and indeed what sin need to be punished by. So the law shone, a, shone the full light of God's word on sin 
and sinful practices. And so that which was often hidden but still sin was exposed by the law of God. Okay? Yeah, and so we see that. And so the offense was more abounding because it was more revealed. But then we find that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, which is a wonderful picture of what God wants for our lives and for the nation lives and for Europe. God understands. We've got to understand how much sin there is out there. It's frightening. It's horrifying. I mean, some Christians stick their head in the sand and pretend that there's no sin going on out there. But the, but the lives that sin is taking and ruining and destroying across Great Britain and Europe, I mean, it is sin abounding. We could go earlier on in Romans. I read that passage in Romans um, chapter 1 about the ra- uh, a number of weeks ago about the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. And then when you begin to read the scriptures after that, there is just a description of a depraved mindset, uh, situation and society. And as you read, the wrath of God is revealed and and everything that comes after that right to the end of Romans chapter 1. It's a description of the United Kingdom. It's a description of Europe today in its perfection. The wrath of God is revealed against this. So we see that the offense is abounding but God wants to bring his grace into this situation and overtake it by his grace now using that verse and moving on speaking about the flat lining when we talk about flat lining what I'm saying is that the signs of life have gone and this reminds me a little bit of Revelations chapter 3 that is sort of like I suppose a New Testament version of Jesus saying to a church, you've just flatlined before me. Remember what we're talking about, flatlining? You often see it in those uh, hospital uh, scenarios on TV. The person's there and it's beep, 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 beep. And then suddenly you hear this beep. And then everybody starts running because the signs of life have gone. The heartbeat stopped and they're just trying to get life back into it. That's what flatlining is. And here in Revelation, Jesus talks about a church that is flatlining spiritually, even though it may not read it, uh, realize it. Revelations chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. So here's a church, a group of believers, that think that they are alive. They, they think that their vital signs of life are very healthy. Um, they're not flatlining in their view. They, they, their heart is pumping. Everything is going well. They are a full, healthy individual. But Jesus says to them, you think you have a name, you think that you are alive, but actually you are dead. Well, that's exactly the same sort of thing that God was speaking to me prophetically, only he used the word 
flat lining, although I think that God used the word and the phrase and the picture of flat lining because there's hope. And if you see the picture that I put up behind me, there's a question mark at the end of it. I'm not, it's not saying that it's dead and finished and nothing can happen. It's saying there is hope that, that, is, that is coming and that can, can take place. Now, when we speak about flat lining, what are we talking about? I'm talking about a situation where there is no supernatural life. I want to talk today about God's grace. The title of my message is Abundant Grace. But I don't believe that we are yet experiencing abundant grace in the church, let alone abundant grace in Britain and Europe. But according to that scripture I read from um, uh, Romans chapter 5, it says where sin abound, grace superabounded. So God wants an abounding grace, a superabundance of, of grace in our lives. But I am making the distinction between sovereign grace and abundant grace. And at the moment, when we talk about flatlining in our lives, in the lives of the church and the nation, flatlining, I call that flatline God's sovereign grace. What do I mean by that? I mean that that is God's grace without any outflow of energy or blessing coming through the church. God's sovereign grace, the way I'm using it today, is the fact that if God should allow it, everything would be immediately punished and destroyed. I mean, it's God's sovereign grace that sinners still take their next breath every, day, every, every moment. Do you know that you take, every breath you take is by the permission of God? Because if God was to let his judgment fall in its full force on what we deserve on earth, it would be utterly and totally destroyed in an instant. When I'm talking about God's sovereign grace tonight in comparison to abundant grace, I'm talking about God's sovereign grace where despite everything, he still doesn't let it get as bad as it could. It's still not as bad as it could be. God still has that grace. It's a bit like when Job went through what Job went through. God drew a line, didn't he, around what the enemy could do. And the enemy wanted to do this and the enemy wanted to do that. And God said, all right, I'll let you do that, but you cannot cross the line. You cannot take Job's life. That was God's sovereign grace. He was just drawing drawing the line and saying, I won't let that happen anywhere. I, I, you know, no matter what happens, I've made a decision. That's as far as it goes. What is God's sovereign grace in that sense in our lives? Well, imagine a believer that never prays. Imagine a believer that doesn't interact with the Holy Spirit. Imagine a believer that um, is fleshly, a, a believer that doesn't exercise any faith or spiritual gifts. Just imagine a fleshly believer who does nothing in the spirit, doesn't read his Bible, doesn't apply his Bible. He's just a believer. Should that believer expect to get anything from God? Okay, you don't know. Huh? No, he shouldn't expect because he's not coming to God in prayer. He's not coming to God in faith. He's not coming to God in expectation. He shouldn't expect to get anything from God because he's not believing God for anything. 
But does that mean that God does nothing in that believer's life at all and simply leaves that believer to destruction? No. God is still sovereign. And it's incredible how God, even when we rebel against him as believers, will still, although he'll let us go through the uh, trauma and discipline of backsliddenness, because when you backslide, the punishment and discipline is in the backsliding. Do you hear what I'm saying? But even through that, isn't it amazing how God will still, not, he'll still hold on. Some of us can look back on our lives perhaps and think, do you know what? But for the grace of God, I was finished in many ways. I didn't do anything. I wasn't walking with God. I wasn't believing God. I wasn't looking to God. But you know what? God was still there. I had flatlined with God, but that flat line was God's mercy. He wouldn't let it, wouldn't let it go, any, go. And you look back on that and you think, God, do you know what? I wasn't cooperating with you. In fact, I was working against you, and yet I see this baseline that you wouldn't let it go down. You were still operating. You were still there. I'd flatlined, and the only thing was, it was your sovereign grace. I was right there. And I think sometimes as believers, we can end up very close to that line, where the vital signs of spirituality, faith, prayer are so low, just like in that church in Revelation 3, that it's just the baseline sovereignty of God that's keeping us going. Well, that's not a very good existence to be in. That's not superabundance. That's barely making it grace, barely getting through. And there's a lot of Christians like that, you know. And I've got good news for them today. But there's a lot of Christians like that. They barely pray. Barely pray. Many Christians don't even pray at all. Don't even pray at all. Most of that happens is when they get into such a terrible flatlining position. When everything is going so bad, well then they might pray. But if they just get above that flatline position, a little bit of life, just enough to get going again, they stop again. Because that's just enough to keep them going. Many Christians don't believe God for anything, don't follow God, aren't expecting to receive, aren't seeking a blessing, aren't seeking God or his will. On the contrary, they flatlined or they're as close to flatlining as possible. And so their experience of life is a flatline experience. When they deal with the problems and circumstances of life, they barely get through. I look back at some of my, of, of my life at times when I flatlined spiritually. And it was like God never gave up on me because I'm his kid. But I would just barely get through this and just barely get through that. And God was keeping me just above flatlining. But the experience of, of my life, the, the, the joy, the promises of Scripture, there was none of that. I was just barely making it through the day. And, and that was no, no, no credit to me. It was just God's sovereign. It was God's sovereign. I'd hit the bottom of the barrel, but thank God at the bottom of the barrel was God. But that was it. That was it. It was purely that. Well, that's not an abundance of grace, is it? That's not what Jesus called the abundant life. And then when I thought about the nation, 
and the state of the nation and the state of Europe. And God says this nation has flatlined before me. What does that mean? It, it, it means there's nothing in this nation, in this prophetic word. All right, there's bits and bobs, but when God's looking at it, where's the life? Where's the life of God in this nation? Where's the life of God in Europe? Where's the superabundant grace? You know, Colin had a word for London many years ago in the 1990s and we're still believing God for it today and it's part of what my message is today. It's called Grace for the City. Any old timers remember when that first came? And God gave Colin a picture of an angel, a big angel above London and this angel was carrying a great bowl of liquid and the bowl was about the uh, size of the M25 and the angel was was being a little bit sort of like not controlled with the bowl and out of the bowl drops and splashes were splashing on London and and Colin was thinking as he saw this vision oh my goodness these are the bowls of wrath of revelation uh, and, and they're being poured out on London because London is ripe for judgment but then as he looked and saw the vision and God showed him where these splashes were coming the splashes wherever it splashed people were getting saved wherever it splashed people were getting healed wherever it splashed people were getting delivered it was a bowl of God's grace and right at the beginning of those grace for the cities even today we still have those grace for the city meetings don't we where we gather the church what is it God was calling us to pray for more grace for the city because of the judgment that it was under. In other words, where sin and judgment abounds, it's God's desire that grace would superabound. You know, the city of London, if it's flat lining, then what it means is that bowl is stationary. There's, there's very little grace in this city. Now, it might be hard for you to understand this because you've received so much grace, many of you. And for those of you who haven't flatlined, you're seeing grace in the things that you're doing. But there's very little grace in this city. Do you understand that? If you don't believe, believe me, let's go to some of the places in this city. Let's see what's going on. Not just in the terrible places where you'd expect it, but in the hearts and minds of dead souls. Do you know what I'm saying? In the hardness of hearts. In the lack of spiritual awareness or awakenedness. In the stony hearts and stony faces of people to God, there's very little grace in the city. Also, in the nation, you know, the church is very good about talking up revival. The church is very good at pretending that there's a lot of grace where there isn't actually a lot of grace. If you look at the millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people that aren't saved in this nation. I, once in prayer, it was like God took me on a journey. And he like took me up the M1 in a journey. And it was like I was sort of like flying in a low aeroplane. And it was reminding me of times when I'd gone on the M1. And I was going past villages, untold villages and untold housing estates. And, house, and, 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 not, and it was all in darkness. I mean, I could see through the darkness, but it was in darkness. 
street after street, school after school, household after household, village after village, town after town, great city after great city in this nation. And it was in darkness. And I said, Lord, the people are in darkness. And he said, yes, but I want them to see a great light. And we know that one of the prophecies about Jesus was a, a, a people that were sitting in great light, in great darkness, have seen a great light. Why were they sitting in darkness? Because when it's so thick black spiritually, you can't even see where to crawl, let alone walk. Have you ever been in a room in pitch darkness? I remember as a kids, we used to go into a room in pitch darkness. I mean, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. It was a crazy feeling to be. This flat lining that's, that's, that's going on. And um, God is speaking to us because he wants to change this. And he wants to change the flat lining in Christian lives. And he wants then afterwards to change the flat lining that's in our nation. Where, where the, there is no vital signs of life. Where things have reached rock bottom and, and it's just the grace of God that things are existing as they are. You see, in our Christian lives, we tolerate too much flatlining. I already mentioned, very often people or Christians have such low levels of desire for God's abundant supernatural grace to come into their lives, such low levels of expectation or desire but such high levels of toleration of sin and um, flatlining. So that Christians will tolerate and tolerate all kinds of attacks by the enemy. And only when things get almost life-threatening, or like just, uh, will, a Christ, will many Christians get up and pray? And they will get up and pray. Once God spoke to me, and he, he didn't use this phrase, but I'm using it now. But once God spoke to me, and it was like he was saying, you flatline. He says, Bruce, you tolerate too much. You tolerate too much in your life, in your family's life, in your ministry, in your church. And in your, you tolerate too much. I'm saying, what do you mean? He says, because you don't, you don't change it. You don't come against it in prayer. You don't pray. You just tolerate it. And the only time you pray... Is, is because you tolerate too much, it has to get so bad in your circumstances, or so bad in your ministry, or so bad in something, that you're, well, I'm using the phrase now, that you're flatlining, or going down under flatlining, and you finally say, I can't cope with this anymore. Then you get up, then you deal with things in the spirit, and then when you just push the enemy back enough to get some breathing space, you stop again. Do you hear what I'm saying? You stop again. That's not super abundance of grace. That's just getting enough to get along. And people get so used to low standards of Christian living and Christian experiences that we even forget there's so much more. But we're talking about super abundance, abounding grace, something that is a miraculous, supernatural thing in our lives. And God is saying that we're too passive and that we're letting the enemy get away with too much. And our expectations of what God can do, not just in our lives, but in the people that don't know the Lord yet, and in our nation, and our, our expectation of what can do in Europe is just so low, it's almost flatlined. And God wants us to understand 
that there is an abounding grace that he wants to release in our lives. There is so much more that God wants us to experience. He doesn't want us flatlining. He wants our spiritual health. He, he, he wants the vital signs of life. He wants us strong and healthy. I'm changing the graph a little bit. But, but when you think of the graph and flatlining, and, and we're living at such a low level, God wants us to begin that curve to begin to go higher and higher in the experience of the supernatural grace of God. Higher levels of victory, higher levels of manifestation, higher levels of breakthrough, higher levels of grace in the city. And so the Lord is speaking as he's been speaking and he took me to Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 24. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 24. Speaking about the land, Ezekiel 22 verse 24, son of man, Ezekiel 22:24. see he's still turning so I'll give you a moment, son of man, say to her, this is Israel, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. Then he describes this land, the conspiracy of her prophets in her mist is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Her princes or rulers in the midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people and to get dishonored again. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery and mistreated the poor and needy. And they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man or a woman among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured my indignation on them. I have consumed them with fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads says the Lord. Sobering stuff, isn't it? You see, here you've got a situation where a nation is under judgment, severe judgment, and yet the, prof the prophets are saying the absolute opposite. It's like people today that talk about grace, and they talk about grace and say, you know what? You don't have to do anything. God's grace has done it all. You don't have to do this, you don't, just rest in God's grace. You don't have to do anything, God's grace has done it all. Now, at one level, that's correct. But at another level, that's totally and utterly wrong. It's just a recipe for Christian laziness and to stay flat-lined. And these prophets were plastering over, it's like, it's like they're plastering over the cracks, like going into a house that's just about to fall, and there are severe uh, structural faults and cracks all over the house. And along comes God's prophets, well they're not, and they start plastering over it. 
And so when you look at it, after they've plastered over it, everybody's like, oh, look, it's beautiful. It's all, but it, they're not saying what's true. We have got so many prophets that are lying spirits working through them, that are talking well when things are very bad, going around, putting God's people in a deep sleep because they don't, they, they say, oh, everything's all right. I, I've heard people teach, literally teach, that there is no judgment of God on Britain, that there's no judgment of God on Europe, because Jesus has taken all the judgment on himself. Well, if that's the blessing then, <laughs> if Britain is under blessing, and if Europe is under blessing, what type of blessing is it? Because it sure looks like the wrath of God is revealed to me. And, but you see, Although these are lying prophets saying everything's okay, you know, relax, be at peace, rest, think about yourself, just don't worry about it. Everybody's going to go to heaven, don't worry about it. God will intervene by himself. He doesn't need you to do anything. And saying all these things and paralyzing God's people instead of mobilizing God's people, we see in this passage God's real heart. God's real heart. He, he, it wasn't his intention to pour out wrath. It, what, it, it wasn't his primary intention to pour out wrath. It, it's not his, that if you look deep into his heart, that was not his primary will to destroy the land or to judge the land. No, what he desired was to pour grace on that land. Where sin abounded, remember Romans? Grace superabounded. And the law came to, talk, to call sin as it is, Romans 5.20. What am I doing tonight and last week? I believe in a sense I'm playing, I, I'm, I'm bringing the law. I'm exposing that things aren't all right. That like that, um, that, that, that great story, the emperor's wearing no clothes. You know that story? Someone says to the emperor, oh, I'm going to stitch you some new robes. And the emperor is naked. But the person says, ah, only the wise can see the robes. Foolish people will see you naked. And so the emperor, looking at his nakedness, doesn't want to be foolish. He goes, oh yes, how beautiful, how beautiful. Everybody hears the story that only the wise can see the beautiful clothes of the emperor. And so although everybody really, if they're really looking at it, see that the emperor is naked, they're all applauding. They're all saying, how wonderful, what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful clothes. Until some young boy in the crowd says, the emperor's in the all together. It's a great song, actually, if, you, if you've been around long. The emperor's, in, the emperor's naked. And I'm going, no, no, foolish boy. Can't you see the beautiful robes? No, the emperor's naked. Well, this, this is what the church is like today. The church is like today. Oh, it's all right, be all right. Everything's okay. Don't worry about it. That's what the church is like today. But God says, I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap that I would not destroy it. In other words, when we're talking about abundant grace, something has to happen for it to come. Remember I talked about flatline sovereign grace? That you can do absolutely... It's like if you believe in Jesus once in your heart, truly... That he died and rose again for you. You're saved. You're going to heaven. 
But that doesn't mean that you're going to live the abundant grace life. You, you could be a believer and live your whole life in disobedience and backsliddenness. What a horrible life that is, by the way. But God's flatlining grace will still hold you up and you'll go to heaven. But that's not God's intention. God wants us to experience the kingdom of heaven. We want, to, we want to really see that prayer. I'm praying this prayer more than I've ever prayed it before in my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even when I don't know what to pray, I just pray it for myself. Lord, your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done as it is in heaven. In Britain, in the church, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that sounds like a prayer for super abundant grace, doesn't it? Because sometimes when I pray that prayer, I think about what it must be like in heaven. I think about the grace and the joy and the abundance and, and, and the power and the majesty and the presence. And I'm thinking, and we get to pray a prayer, can it come down to earth? We get to pray your heaven come down to earth. This is the opportunity. This is the superabundance, the abundant grace that is available for us as we press in an ever increasing measure is heaven on earth. And I thought, is that really possible? And I thought, of course it is. Jesus kept talking about the kingdom of heaven. I know he used the kingdom of God as well, interchangeably, and it means the same thing. But the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to bring you heaven. The kingdom of heaven is within. I could do with a bit of heaven inside me, couldn't you? I could do just as it would be if I was in heaven, how it would be in my life. You know, we're still thanking God for the life of Harry George, our worship leader, who went to be with the Lord after an incredible testimony uh, of, of believing God throughout cancer. And when he was near death, not the time when he died, but when he was near death in, um, I've still got it on my Facebook email, um, September, he, 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 he Facebooked me, inboxed me, because we would often talk on Facebook about theology and things, and he'd ask me questions and inbox me. And he inboxed me. And he said, because he said what he'd been through and that, and he asked me not to share it at the time. But he said, you know what, I had, a, I had a death experience. And he said, and during this period, I felt myself leaving my body. And I felt just the most incredible love that was just so overwhelming. I can't even express what it was like, this love. And it was so powerful that I just didn't want to come back. But I heard what sounded like a little girl crying out and calling me back in prayer. And then we found later that he said to that, that was his sister, when he regained consciousness, he said to her, I hope you brought me back for a good reason. Well, there is, there is a man that didn't fear death and that didn't want to come back. Well, how about having some of that now in our hearts? How, how about the kingdom of God? And everywhere Jesus went, he didn't just bring grace, he brought abundant grace. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is in abundance. People don't have any food. The 5,000 are weary and fainting. And Jesus says, what have we got? And they said, we've barely got enough. And so Jesus blessed the fish and the loaves 
and gave them just enough to eat to get them to the nearest McDonald's where they could eat again. Did he give them a flat line? No, no. They, they were full. I mean, there were some big eaters there. They were from the men's net, Katie's men's net. Tell you what, if Katie men's net ever has, ever has anything with food, you've got to turn up about two hours early just to get a look in. And, and they ate and ate and ate and ate. And you know all the baskets that came back. I mean, his first miracle was one of superabundance. I mean, they'd run out of wine. And you know what? So they should. They'd had enough already. You know, that was enough. They'd had enough. And what did Jesus do? He uh, made sure that they got all of those Kensington Temple little communion thimbles. And each person was given a thimble each. And you know, when the rind runs out, you just keep the same glass, don't you? Pretend you're drinking it, wet your lips during the toasts and stuff. Is that what he did? Did he give them a flat line? Just enough to get them through? No, you know, he gave them gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of the best wine that's ever been on the face of the earth. It was a super abundance of grace. It was grace upon grace upon grace. There was no lack. When Jesus brought the kingdom, he brought this super abundance of grace and presence. It was marvelous. It was wonderful. It was amazing. It was the kingdom of heaven being experienced. When they received at Pentecost the Holy Spirit, it wasn't just enough that they could get out and barely share the word of God, so a few could be saved. I mean, when they, f I mean, they got too much. They had too much Holy Spirit. I mean, God gave them too much. You say, what are you talking about? Well, they came out of that prayer room staggering. Staggering and falling about uncontrollably, speaking in tongues. I mean, what was that about? They, they, you know, that was too much. That was an abundant grace. They just needed enough grace to be able to share the word. Enough grace to call sinners. That's all they needed. They could barely get up off the floor. You say, you exaggerate. I do not exaggerate. Read Acts. People were saying, you're drunk, you're drunk, you're drunk, you're drunk, you're drunk. And the first thing they had to say, we are not drunk as you suppose. For it's only nine in the morning or whatever it was. But we are filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants us not to flatline, but He wants us to begin to experience a superabundance of His grace in our lives. Now, here's what I'm not talking about I am not talking about, oh, that's wonderful, I get everything I want and I have an easy life. I'm not talking about that. James, that I'm teaching at the five o'clock service, says, consider it all joy when you go through trials. And so God, God's way of blessing us is by giving us trials that will shape us, make us stronger inside, make us less susceptible by being tossed by the winds and waves of, of what's going on in life. The greatest blessing is to be able to stand in faith and not be moved by anything. That's the greatest blessing. To, be not, to, to neither be moved by blessing or trial. To be peaceful, strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's the best thing. I was thinking about Paul I, as I was sharing the five. In my devotions, I was thinking about Paul 
and the trials that he went through that he didn't need to go through. Because I'm thinking about superabundance of grace. Because when you think of everything that Paul went through, he didn't have to go through what he went through. I mean, why didn't he just go and plant a few churches, grow them, he could have a nice life. But when he followed the Lord, he faced so many trials, didn't he? Shipwrecked, all these things. And yet, that man had abounding grace in whatever situation he found himself. He was, be, he was above earthly situations. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter if I've got food or not food. It doesn't matter if I'm sleeping under a hedge or in a, in a five-star Hilton. Do you know what? I, I've got such grace working in me and through me that I am so blessed. I am, I am living. I've got, the, I've got the kingdom of heaven on me and in me. Abundant grace, not just sufficient grace, but abundant grace. And God brings abundant grace through us. He brings it through us. And he's calling on us to begin to get hungry for more of grace, which is really more of Jesus. More of the kingdom of heaven. To stop living in poverty. The Church of Great Britain, including myself, by the way, I include myself as the worst of all of this. I'm not sitting here pointing fingers. You've got to understand how this is working in my life. And it is not comfortable. It is not nice. But it's sobering. So please don't think that I'm sitting here. Uh, I, I, if anybody is a culprit, I am a culprit too. But this is the point. We, we need to get to a place where we refuse... To tolerate the low levels of grace that are being manifested today. You see, if there had been a person to stand in the gap, what would have happened? That person could have turned the judgment of God into the mercy of God. I was looking for someone that would pray. I was looking for someone, God is saying, that would come to me and say, God, I've just seen the way things really are. And I'm asking you, in your wrath, remember mercy. God, I'm coming to you and I'm looking at Britain and I'm looking at Europe. And I'm thinking to myself, there is such an abundance of sin. Such an abundance of wrath and judgment. What is wrath? It's when God leaves people to their sin. He, just leads, he gives them over to their sin. You want it? You don't want God? You don't have to have God. You want all manner of sin? Go ahead. I'm not going to stop you anymore. I'm going to leave you to it. That's what the judgment of God is. And we're saying, God, please don't leave them to it. God, you said that where there was an abundance of sin and judgment, that there, there is the possibility and it's your desire for a superabundance of grace to come in. And if there had been someone to stand in the gap, and to seek him, he said, I was looking for someone that I would not destroy. In other words, I was looking for someone that would tug on my heart and say, please, Father, grace and mercy, not judgment and wrath. He was looking for someone like Abraham that would speak to him about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah is a horrible place. I mean, it was a terrible situation. And although in the end it got destroyed, look at how Abraham 
pleaded for grace, not wrath and judgment. You know, a lot of people today would, would say, God says, I'm going to tell you something, because you're my friend, Abraham. See Sodom and Gomorrah and everybody that's associated it? Yeah. I'm going to destroy it. Amen. About time. Thanks for sharing that with me, God. Can I have a good view? What about Moses? God said, right, that's it. These people are flatlined too long. I am going to destroy them, Moses. I'm going to start all over again with you. You're going to be the second Abraham. And what did Moses say? God, don't. Don't. Mercy. Mercy. Grace. Grace. That's what God is looking for. People that actually give a damn about other people. People that actually give a damn about their lives and other people's lives that give a damn about Britain, that give a damn about London, that give a damn about Europe. When I say give a damn, you know what I mean? That they don't want damnation. Because damnation does not start when you die as an unbeliever. You're already in it. You're already in it. And that's the horror of it all. God is looking for an abundance grace. And so Hebrews 4.16 says this. Hebrews 4.16 let us therefore come boldly to the throne of judgment. Does it say that? Grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we might obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. You see, it's all there at the throne. Mercy. Grace, God's intervention. And there is so much more we can experience if we go to his throne of grace. There, we don't have to flatline in our lives. We don't have to barely get along. We don't have to live with, with the few, very few signs of vital life. We, we can experience at the throne of God, we can turn things around. We can see divine outpourings of the Holy Spirit. We can see incredible changes by grace in our lives. God spoke a word of grace and told me what he wanted, what he wanted, me, what he wanted to make me into. What he wanted to do in my heart. I couldn't believe it. He, he spoke to me in words that resonate. I don't know why I'm sharing with you. I guess because you're close. I don't know why I'm sharing this with you. But anyway, he spoke to me. In words that I, that I would understand as a very young boy in the 70s. When I was going through a very difficult time and I was thinking, God, it's, it's too much. It's too much. And I was just lying there in the middle of the night saying, it's too much. It's too much. Can't cope. It's just, he said, can't cope. I'm talking about the weight of the nation. The weight of what needs to happen. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. And then he spoke to me. He said, I want to make you the six million dollar man. And all of a sudden, I went right back to the 70s. Little kid, watching Steve Austin. We have the technology. He'd, he'd flatlined all right. His spaceship had crashed. Steve Austin. And he's lying there, flatlined. And he's over. He's, he's you know, he's, <laughs> this was on it. You see this beep, beep, beep. And then someone says, we have the technology to rebuild him. Steve Austin, the bionic man. We have the technology. The six million dollar man. 
he will be better, stronger, faster than ever before. I've got it on my ringtone now. I got it at six million dollar man. I'm going six million, and I'm lying there in the middle of the night. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh God, oh God. And he's speaking to me like I'm like a six-year-old. And I'm going right back and thinking, oh, I like that. I like what? You, you, you can turn us as we are. You can turn us into six million dollar man. I think there was a six million dollar woman, wasn't there as well, was there? wasn't as good as the $6 million man, but it was $6 million woman. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. But, and I'm thinking, oh, I can be rebuilt. I can become something different. Why? With superabounding grace. And then I thought, $6 million man. And then the Lord said, cost a lot more. It cost a lot more to do what I want to do in your life and your life. Cost more than $6 million. It cost my son's life. And I thought, you can get some good parts for that kind of cash. The son of God's death. And this is where I'm coming to a close. This is where the abundant grace comes from. It's been paid for. It's been paid for. It's like a little kid running into a sweet shop and someone saying, it's all been paid for, son. It's all been paid for, daughter. Have what you want. And then going, oh, all right, I'll have one of those polo mints. Just one. When you can, God has paid for it all. Why should we flatline? When God's paid, when there's a throne of grace that just takes a bit of boldness to go up to and say, I've come, what you come to my throne for today? For some mercy. I've come to obtain mercy and to find grace. What for? Everything. From my life, my ministry, my family, for London. I've come to the throne of grace. Is there enough? There's enough for you. There's enough for your family. There's enough for that area that's flat-lined, that you thought will always stay flat. You can obtain grace and mercy in times of need. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a greater time of need in the church and the world uh, and Britain and Europe today. And so it's time for us to stand in the gap. Number one, for ourselves and our brothers and sisters. The Bible says, this is a new commandment I give to you. That you run around with the prosperity gospel getting cars and new suits and watches. No, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. How do we love one another? By bringing grace, abundant grace into one another's lives. By bringing it into our lives. Let's get up to that throne and start believing God for some difference and not taking no for an answer. Because we're boldly, boldly going, not passively. Not, not, like, not like sort of like, you know, shyly going to the, God, could I have a bit more grace? Like some sort of Oliver Twist film. Can I have some more gruel? But boldly, with confidence, that God is saying, there's so much up here in heaven. Why aren't you experiencing it on earth? And to boldly go and start releasing the kingdom of God into our lives into our lives and not for our own but also into the church by seeing more by not flatlining anymore but by seeing the grace standing in the gap by seeing God begin to do incredible things in our lives and seeing where there's so much judgment and sin let's get some abundant grace going let's see Britain begin to turn back Let's plead to the Lord and be made as vessels, six million dollar men and women for the Lord. Better, faster, stronger than ever before. Because it's not in our own strength, it's going to be an abundant grace. Let's be abundant grace 
fillers and dispensers like Jesus was. Not just enough to get by, like drinking a little bit of water from a canteen and barely making it to the next canteen to drink, but actually being a flow. Because God says that he wants to make pools in the wilderness. And he wants, he wants to make deserts bloom and blossom again. This is God's abundant grace. So let's not shy away from the horrors of sin and judgment. But let's also be the ones that plead for that grace. Don't tolerate anything but abundant grace. Flatlining grace. It's not enough anymore. We've got to rise in prayer. Rise in faith. Rise and begin to be vessels and conduits of God's glory. You won't get it by, it won't just come. This is the point, it won't just come. You have to rise up and want it. It's the hungry that are satisfied. It's the violent that take the kingdom of God by force. It's those that say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being in this low level of manifestation of God in my life. I'm sick and tired of flatlining, of just about making it through to the next weekend, of just about making it through each day, of, of like taking, it's like begging bread, just enough beggar's bread. We're meant to be the children of the kingdom, not the dogs. It's the dogs that get the crumbs. But so often in our lives, it feels like we're feeding on crumbs and satisfied with it. It's time to take our place at the table of abundance and God's presence and God's blessing and God's will. And begin to feast on the kingdom of heaven. And begin to have the kingdom of heaven change in us. That's God's will for our lives. And that's God's destiny for us. Let's stand together. I'm going to call the ministry team forward tonight. And we're not going to go into word of knowledge this evening. I don't even feel led to make an altar call tonight. And I, I would have to be a leading not to do that. Ministry team ready to pray at the front. This is what we're going to do. We're going to begin to deal with these issues in our minds. And maybe God has spoken to you in some sense that you've flatlined. That really, what is on offer and what, what we have is so much more. And that you're not going to be passive anymore. And just stay at that low level. But actually, by the grace of the Spirit, you're going to rise in your Christian life. You're going to rise. You're going to, you're going to grow. You're going to be a thermostat, not a temperature gauge. Because if you're a thermometer, then God help us because this nation is freezing cold. It's at sub-zero but turn your thermometer up to the kingdom of heaven. It's a beautiful sunny day there. And we're going to say, no, Lord, I don't want a flat line. I want to be six million dollar man, woman. I want, I want to rise. I want abundance. I want to see change. I want to be used of you. And we've got people here at the front as we worship the Lord. And if you need a prayer for something in particular, or you just feel led, I just want someone to pray for me, then we're here for you. But in these last 10 minutes or so, let's just drink in what God has said to you. And God will have said different things in this message to different people. For some of you, you might be saying, do you know what? I've got to pray for my family. Or you might say, do you know what? I've got to pray for this circumstance. Or you might say, there's judgment 
in my nation and you might turn it into intercession. It may be for you that God is calling you to stand in the gap. Others, it is that you should no longer flatline. Others, it's that you're tolerating things that you should not tolerate. Others, is that you've got, to, you've got to bring fresh hunger into your lives. And let us on these evenings begin to rise and rise and rise. And know that however bad it is, friends, however bad it is, there's a greater grace. Wherever there is an abundance of the enemy, wherever there is an abundance of dryness or negativity or sin, there is more grace. We are going right now to the throne of grace to boldly ask for help and grace in time of need. Let's just begin to worship the Lord together. Maybe he'll pour out some of his grace right on us. Maybe he'll begin to heal some of us. Maybe he'll begin to encourage some of you with words of what he wants to do with you. And if you feel during this time that you want to come forward to be prayed for, come forward. We'll join with you. Whatever it is that you want and that you need. We're on a journey. We're not flatlining anymore. There's an abundance out there at God's throne.